Hey everybody and welcome back to Longshot Ballerinas, a podcast for adults pursuing excellence in ballet. If you're just joining us, please make sure you listen to the part one of this episode. This is episode number eight, uh, but you need the part one in order to follow along with this part two. So if you're clicking on this for the first time, just go back one screen and select the episode eight, part one. Anyways, we're going to pick up right where we left off. No introduction and review the last thing that I told you, which was my uh, motivations for going to graduate school in dance. And I think I told you that about 50% or more was that my ex-boyfriend, who I was hanging on to for dear life, uh, was going to this school. But it also so happened to be a really good dance program as well. And the more that I looked into it and I visited and kind of got to know the program, I got it into my head that it would be really good for me to attend a more modern-based school in order to round out myself as a teacher. Since I wanted to kind of focus in on dance pedagogy, I knew I needed some more practice teaching styles that were not ballet <laughs> and and learning and training in these different styles as well. So I want to talk about now kind of the application process in case there's anybody listening who's like, what is it like to go to dance graduate school? So we'll di- diverge a little bit from uh, the, the drama track because there is definitely uh, plenty of drama to entertain you coming up. So just to spend a minute or two on this, I began by, I guess, researching the different components and different um, parts of the application I was going to have to do, which included obviously like a basic application about my training Prior to graduate school, I needed to submit my transcripts for my undergraduate work. And then they also asked for a dance reel of sorts, except for it was more like a folder on Dropbox where I put an assortment of pieces I'd choreographed and pieces I danced in and combinations of the two. So I submitted, I think, also a letter of intent or an introductory letter and then I waited. (laughs) Like I said, this was the only dance program I applied to. So it was a lot of eggs in the basket. My backup plan was actually to become a flight attendant, go figure. I had wanted to work for Delta because at the time I was living in the Northwest, of course, I was in Washington State, and that was, they, you know, have a big base there, as well as just wanting to stay in the Northwest, and I had one friend from music school who had gone, or maybe two, two friends from music school who had gone on to be flight attendants, and I saw them enough on Instagram, or I guess maybe, what, yeah, I don't think Instagram was really a thing, but Facebook, social media, and saw that they weren't doing their life, so that was kind of my backup plan. If they didn't call me back for an in-person interview slash audition, for the program, then that's what I was going to do. So go figure if you know what I do now. Haha, it just took me a while to get to it. <laughs> but anyways, I ended up getting a, a an invite to go to Eugene and to tour the school and to audition in person. And part of my audition was really important because I had also applied for a graduate teaching fellowship or a GTF position, which basically gave me a tuition waiver as well as a small stipend. I think about I don't know seven or eight hundred dollars a month. My dad and I went down to Oregon 
and I got to meet up with my ex and you know he was still my friend so it was it was nice seeing him like a friendly face and then I had interviews with I think a good amount of the department at least uh, the graduate coordinator uh, Christian who is wonderful and I, I really adore him even to this day uh, he happened to also be a musician a an incredible musician and a wonderful pianist and so I interfaced mostly with him so the first part of my audition was, of course, performing some sort of solo, and I think it was just one thing I had prepared because they'd already seen me dance a little bit in my videos, but I needed to do something in person. So I actually, which I didn't realize that this was like so uh, taboo and actually just really bad and you're not supposed to do this, but I had ripped the choreography or I had learned the choreography from a video uh, of the Sylvie Guillaume solo from Smoke by Mats Ek, Mats Ek which is fantastic. It is still to this day one of my favorite pieces of choreography, but I really didn't understand that you can't just learn choreography off of a video and then perform it. <laughs> now, they gave me a pass because this was an educational institution and there is no video as far as I know, which I'm sad because I practiced it a lot. It was just, I had no idea about contemporary ballet, which is basically what this was. A, a little bit modern, but very ballet based too, of course, Sylvie Guillaume. And so, anyways, I was very proud, and I had bought a leotard specifically for that day. I'd shopped at the little dance store in Eugene, uh, and I had found this beautiful circle skirt. It was like kind of like a blue and green paisley, like deep colors to wear, because I was trying to emulate her costume, which was this beautiful purple dress. So anyways, gorgeous choreography. So I think I nailed that, to be perfectly honest. And what was cruel and unusual, I thought, is they actually brought in everybody in class, uh, in the two upper level undergraduate and the graduate, I guess they were one and the same, but basically all of the advanced dancers in the program came and watched me audition, plus the faculty. It was actually, now that I'm thinking about it, quite intense and, uh, fairly unfair, I guess, but I kind of feel like I thrived under the pressure and they clapped for me and they thought I was really amazing. And I thought, and I was just like proud. I was so proud. So that out of the way, I think that was the first thing I had to do. So I was like, phew, okay, that's the hard part. And it was the thing I was most nervous about. But after that, then I was assigned a ballet class to teach. And of course I've got this, you know, kind of shit eating grin on my face. Cause I'm like, I know that I'm so good at this. <laughs> so I was the thing I was most confident at. So they gave me, I think a level two class. So one step up from like the y'all come beginner ballet where it was just anybody from across the campus. This was like the second level in the progression of ballet. So they had a little bit more experience and then they taped me. So they set up a video camera and they taped this because I guess not everybody could stay and um, watch that. So they saw my solo and then I taught this hour and a half class, but I know I slayed that. I had I just had so much fun. I kind of go into this sort of uh, meditation, trance-like, just pure joy and connection with the people I am teaching when I'm in the classroom. And that is even to this day. So I know I just had such a fun time. And actually I have a copy of VHS copy that they gave me later on of my class I taught. So whenever I get that digitized, I will share that on social media because I, I can't wait to see that. I'm all, I'm really interested in seeing how I did and comparing it to my teaching style now, because that was, oh, wow over 10 years ago, that's 11 years. That was 2013. That was the spring of 2013. Wow, time flies. So I finish up all of that. Um, I think I had an interview with Christian where I talked to him, and this is actually important to mention. 
I talked to him about my musical background as I was thrilled that he was a musician and I just felt instantly connected to him. And some of my uh, essays that I had submitted, which were things I had written in undergrad as part of like writing samples, he really liked. And one of them was about, ooh, I think it was about Debussy and Impressionism. Ooh, I can't quite recall. I could find it. But anyhow, so he wanted to ask me more about that. And at that point, I mentioned that I was interested in continuing and pursuing my musical knowledge in an interdisciplinary way, along with the dance department. I also told him about my theater experience. You know, I had done quite a lot of things. Kind of when you write them down and then you have to tell someone about it, you go, oh, wow, I've done a lot. <laughs> So that was cool. He was really supportive of that. Uh, I mentioned how I, I wanted to, you know, somehow work in those skills and talents uh, to my graduate work. And he was, like I said, super supportive, thought that was amazing, really encouraged me uh, to feel comfortable and like I would be welcomed <laughs> to do that in this department. So dun, dun, dun. There's some foreshadowing for you. <laughs> Okay, so I go home. I go home to Ellensburg. I'm finishing up. That was the end, like I said, this, this spring? The, I think I went in March. So yeah, early spring of my super senior year. So I was only taking a few extra credits because I needed to finish up some general education requirements. So my schedule was pretty free and I would just practice dancing. I was going to the gym a lot. Uh, this was also very shortly after I'd been cleared from my surgery, my breast reduction. If you have not listened to that episode, please go listen to that because that will fit into this too, but I'm not going to rehash it too much. So I've really only been out and cleared for exercise for maybe like six or eight weeks at that point. I think, let's see, I went on November 30th and then I spent eight weeks. So that would be December 30th, January 30th, February. I prepared all February and then it was mid-March that I went uh, to do this audition. So yeah, I was just trying to stay in shape and, and finish out my last year of school strong. I can't remember how long it was, but eventually I got an email from the lady who was the secretary for the department saying that they were happy to extend me an offer of a graduate position and also I managed to secure the teaching fellowship position as well, which was incredible. Basically, if I hadn't gotten that, I, I would not have taken out any more loans to go to graduate school. So that was, my, my attendance at the school was contingent upon me receiving the teaching fellowship. And there were other people who applied as well um, there were ended up only being two of us in my in my year, but I was the one that that got the teaching fellowship. I just had I think more experience and and I really loved it. And I think they could tell. Yeah, so I was over the moon. All of a sudden, I felt like the clouds had parted and the doors were opening. And this was this cool thing that I had just all of a sudden decided to do this. Not that long before, you know, maybe six months when I was throwing this idea around. So I was pretty proud of myself. So fast forward to the fall and my start at the school. They assign me classes to teach. I get you know tour of the building. I'm meeting some of the other grad students. I think there were, uh, let's see, three years total because the MFA program is the one I had officially been accepted into. So Masters of Fine Arts in Dance. And then you could sort of um, specialize within your MFA. Some people were doing choreography-based focus. Uh, some were doing pedagogy focus like I was. Some were doing kinesiology. I think the girl in my 
group migrate <laughs> in my level uh, she was looking at doing more kines and choreography and basically I think I was assigned three classes to teach right off the bat so first they assigned me to teach uh, beginning modern which I was freaking out about and now of course I've also got to make syllabi and all of this kind of paperwork that goes along with being you know associated with the university when you're kind of doing your own stuff you kind of just do it the way that you would like to do it there's not a lot of guidance from anybody but um, maybe your studio owner but it's much less it's much more casual and so here I am creating these syllabi for beginning modern one I was like modern 101 I was like oh my god I think I need modern 101 because in fact they had uh, decided that I needed remedial modern <laughs> of course I did so I ended up in the lower level modern class and I think actually the girl who was with me she was in that class as well so I had somebody who was kind of in the same boat as me although she was light years ahead of me oh my gosh just this amazing incredible mover and I was happy about that I was like yes this is great I while I didn't want to be in the lower level from all the other grads were in the upper level I knew that I needed it and I, I was I was happy to be just kind of somewhere I could start out slowly a little more slowly but luckily after I think there was a scheduling issue of some sort so I didn't teach modern anymore and they assigned me to ballet and I was like phew I think that was the day before I actually taught the class so I'm busy trying to prepare what am I going to teach these new modern kids am I, I going to even be convincing because I'm such a bunhead that was stress so thankfully I didn't end up having to teach modern at all in my time at UO I was also assigned to co-teach with one of the second year grads a beginning ballroom class which I was thrilled about I had taken some ballroom when I was an undergrad and kind of was experienced with social dance a little bit not in any type of advanced capacity but I could definitely teach all of the basics and I was very confident in kind of making up little combos for uh, new people for beginners so that ended up being super fun um, Faith if you ever hear this I adored working with you and you were so kind and and I miss you a lot that was such a fun experience for me and I think it really helped me feel welcome in the department and from the other grads that is the one thing that differed from my undergrad experience is that the students were wonderful the faculty not always so much it was kind of a flip scenario um but the students were so supportive and welcoming and everybody was like this big family it was very cool so that was awesome and really like kept my nerves in check uh, yeah, so my first quarter went off well. Now this is where it's going to get a little muddy for me because one, I think I literally have CPTSD from this. Um, I have talked about it in my therapy before and I really think that uh, a lot of my like mind that is blank, like my memory's just gone, is because of how much stress and like literal suffering I was undergoing through the next, I guess, maybe starting the spring quarter of my first year. So uh, eventually I, you know, you, you're required to take so many credits per term. In order to keep up my GTF, I had to maintain a B average or B, I think B, not a B minus, but a solid B average in order to not be kind of put on probation. And that was, I think the rule for the graduate school in general was you had to maintain a certain level of grade. So this comes into play later. Um, 
but yeah, I, you know, kind of jumped into things. I was choreographing some. I was kind of meeting people over at the music department because, again, my boyfriend, his name was George. Uh, George was there studying, and we actually ended up living in the same apartment building. It was like a little, um, it was kind of like a dorm, but it was off campus. But they had a little cafeteria downstairs, and they would, the lady who was the, uh, the chef, her name was Hex, and she would make you just anything that you possibly could want if you had dietary restrictions. And at the time, I was like very much uh, like gluten gluten-free, dairy-free, all of these things. I was sort of still experimenting with my diet. And, and so that was wonderful. So I, you know, I had a friend there. I made good friends in the building and we hung out all the time. Um, my friend, Andrew, we played music. So I started to kind of make a little community. Um, I even started, I see, I had this boyfriend that while I was there, actually, uh, somebody I went to high school with, which I didn't know he lived there and he'd helped me like move in. And yeah, I was really putting some roots down. I was really enjoying just focusing on on dance and just not thinking I would have ever been able to. So this was like so exciting for me. Flashing forward to, like I said, the the timing is going to escape me. I have an idea of what came before what, but as far as like what month it was or what quarter, I am not sure. So I'm gonna be a little vague and we'll just zoom through this part so we can get to the conclusion of this whole ballet and dance history that I'm telling you. But the spring, the spring of my first year, I think was the quarter I signed up for ballet history. So ballet history was taught by a professor. I will leave his name out because I think it's it's just fair. But uh, he had some really incredible credentials as far as his performing experience. He was a founding member of a very famous modern company, worked with this particular choreographer forever and toured, and he was very respectful. And everybody really loved him. I mean, I, I still... I don't know. I think about sometimes reaching out to him to... Well, I'll explain to you what happened, but... Um, kind of reconnect and, and sort of as a, as a different person kind of tell him that I, I understood what happened and I, and I got it and how frustrating it must have been for him to see me, what was going on. I'm, I'm being vague, but we'll keep going. So anyways, uh, ballet history. So this was actually a, um, an undergraduate upper division course. So, you know, you have 100 level through 400 level and then grad uh, classes are five and 600, I think is the way that it worked at Oregon. I'm not sure about other programs, but yeah. So this is a 400 level course, but I needed it because I didn't have this, like I had to do ballet history and then I had to do modern history because I didn't have those two things in my background. So I had to do those two things. I also had to take some technical, um, like stage lighting and stage technical I don't know, like 101, Stage Tech 101 or something, or, or 201, I can't remember specifically the numbers, but basically to fill in the deficits I had in my background, since I came from a music degree and not from like an undergraduate performance degree or something where I would have already had experience with those. So I was signed up for some undergraduate courses as I went along upper division undergraduate uh, to fill in those gaps. So this was one of these classes. Now, at the time, I think I ended up teaching by the spring, I was teaching probably eight or nine hours a week, kind of like covering classes sometimes. I was dancing. Basically, every morning we had technique class. Uh, we had technique class five days a week. So usually it was like Monday, Wednesday, Friday was modern, Tuesday, Thursday was ballet. So from 10 to noon every day, we had technique 
Um, and then, of course, rehearsals and other classes. Then I also had graduate responsibilities like helping to run the office. And we all had office hours where I would meet with my students sometimes. Um, I had to grade papers and kind of everything that you think of a professor would do. That's what we were doing. I also uh, volunteered as an alternate for the uh, GTFF, which is the Graduate Teachers or Graduate Teaching Fellows Federation, the union we all belong to. And um, yeah, I mean, you name it, I was I was doing it. I was choreographing, teaching, performing. We always had some kind of show every quarter or like a showcase for all of our students as well. So every class I taught had to learn a little piece of choreography to present in the end of quarter showcase, which was to like have something to work towards, but also kind of advertise for the department. So people would bring their friends. We had a beautiful um, theater. It was like a convertible theater. So one of our big rooms, the wall would open up and then one side was like the stage space. And then the other side had bleachers that are not bleachers, but like chairs, folding, folding bleachers with backs, like, like folding seating, I'm trying to say <laughs> that would come out. So we would have these things to perform. I mean, we were doing, we were doing a lot. There was a lot of things. We'd also do some outreach. Um, Faith and I went and, or I guess maybe I did it by myself, but um, I went and got paid for this gig to teach beginning ballroom at this fraternity, sorority, like mixer thing, which was bizarre. So I had all these funny little tasks. Um, again, some of it escapes me because I think my brain after a while was just trying to block everything out. But it was feeling very similar to when I was overwhelmed in my undergraduate work. Unfortunately, I didn't know how to say no. And I think at this point, I probably felt, no, I did feel, I, I felt like I couldn't say no. Here I am getting basically a free education, uh, taking out, I took out a little bit of money. I think total over my two years, I ended up staying about 15 grand. So that's pretty good. That was basically just living expenses. That was my housing and, you know, food and water, <laughs> food and electricity. Um, so yeah, I I really didn't see any option to not do the thing and I and I liked to and I was getting a lot of praise again <laughs> for taking on all of these things and pretty much executing them pretty well. But just like in my undergraduate studies, something had to give and unfortunately that ended up being ballet history. So, of course, the professor, what should we call him? Let's call him let's call him professor Lewis. Sure. <laughs> okay. Trying to think of something really far away from his actually. Professor Lewis, let's call it that. So Professor Lewis was thrilled that I was in the class because I was the only graduate um, student in the class and I had such a ballet background and he, I think, had, I don't, I'm not sure. I can only speak from what I experienced. So if some crazy reason he would be listening to this, I, I'm not trying to like put words in anybody's mouth, but it felt like he gave more of a shit about me than maybe some of the other professors, just in that we had some kind of, he, he expected me to like know the ballet. And, uh, you know, I was still performing pretty well in our ballet classes because he would teach some weeks and this other woman who was wonderful, I can, I'll tell you her real name, Susan Zadoff. She was wonderful. Uh, would teach some of our other our other days. And um, yeah, I felt like I had kind of like this little thread that bonded us together. So when I started just absolutely tanking on tests, um, because basically I wasn't getting the reading done. I was not good at doing the reading. It was a lot of reading. I mean, I'm talking 
80, 90 pages a day sometimes. Uh, I could be exaggerating, but uh, it, it seemed like a lot. It was a lot for me to do with everything else I was trying and also like get enough sleep and rest and not get sick, um, et cetera. And so I, you know, the first one I remember him saying, this is disappointing for you. Like he's sort of like, and I was like, oh, I, I'm not sure my memory just is as bad. I'll, I'll do better. I'll do better. Um, you know, and I don't know if I got, I probably got like a C on the test or something. It wasn't good basically. And pretty much it went downhill from there, uh, to the point where I would take a test because basically it was reading and then a partially multiple choices and then some, uh, short answer and then some long like essay questions. But in the class we would have, you know, an exam and whatever. And then also some papers that we had to turn in. And it got to the point where I just, I didn't know anything. I wasn't retaining anything. I wasn't reading anything. I was just kind of showing up. Um, I skipped class a couple of times, told everybody I was sick. I think I faked an ulcer <laughs> at some point because I was so miserable. Wow. And that may have also been the quarter I did modern history. I can't remember, but it was all just coming down on my head. So surprise, surprise, when I failed the class. Um, I think at least I may have gotten a D. I can't remember, but it was, you know, it was under a B. It was under a B. Therefore it was failing. And I may have, I may have, I think that's what it was. I think I got a D. I think he gave me some points just out of sheer, you poor thing, pity maybe. I'm not sure, but I don't, I'd have to look at my scores again. I can't remember, but I don't know. Regardless, I failed it for all intents and purposes. And that was spring term. So, you know, our final grades came out after we had left for the summer. So I ended up not staying there for that summer. I went to live uh, at my parents' place in California at the time they were living on a boat. So I went to go live down there uh, and I waited basically my grade point average, which was horrendous. It was had been completely tanked by this D and or F and it had dropped me down to a B minus because prior to that, I think I had gotten like A's and A minuses on everything. So, you know, my my track record was good. So it kind of made sense why everybody thought I was doing okay because on paper I was doing okay. Nobody asked me if I was doing okay. <laughs> you know, uh, I think I was really good at kind of masking all of that. Now, knowing what I know about myself now and my neurodivergencies, it made perfect sense why I was floundering. I just, it, became, it was too much. I did not have enough time to let my brain rest all of the expectations. It, it makes perfect perfect sense. It's very clear to me why I didn't do well. But at the time, you know, my parents were like, you know, it's okay. It'll be fine. And, and eventually, you know, I, I spent the summer in California. When it was time to go back for the fall, the department had decided to do me a favor because I was put on probation, basically. I was only allowed to take, I think, I think I was taking like 22 graduate credits, which is absolutely insane. It was something like 20 or 22, which is crazy. So I was only allowed to take, I think, 10. I think they halved it or 10 or 11. Uh, and then I was only teaching. They still needed me to teach. So I, was, I went down to two classes a week, I think, or like, um, you know, two classes meeting twice a week. So my responsibilities were basically cut in half. And they told me, all right, you have to... Um, if you get anything lower than a B plus on any other class, like if you get a grade in a class lower than a B plus, then then you're you're in jeopardy of being um, basically kicked out of the university. So yeah, part of me was really upset. The other part of me was like, oh, thank God, someone just told me no. I remember, I think I just saw a Facebook post about it uh, not that long ago, a couple months ago, where it was like, 
I'm so excited for not taking too many classes this quarter because now I have time to like cook and uh, play some more music. I was getting back into music at the time, kind of like writing and, and just learning a bunch of covers and and uh, there was definitely a lot of relief there. So I they also put me on a special credit. What would you call that? I'm trying to remember what they called it, but basically it was a 600 level special arrangement with a professor. So this class was officially with my grad advisor, Christian, and Professor Lewis. <laughs> professor Lewis gave me an assignment to basically try and make up the work that I missed in order to I think, I guess, I don't know if they were going to replace my grade. I got to redo it. I think I got to do the class over, but I couldn't be re-enrolled because it was only offered every other year. Oh, that was the big thing is that there wasn't a chance for me to do it again the following year because because of the undergraduates need, they didn't really need to run it that often. So they did it every other year. So it was not scheduled to be given again in the spring. And so this is what happened. They did a special problem section for me. Uh, basically, Professor Lewis gave me I think it was, it was a lot. I think it ended up being 80 pages of writing, answering for, it was basically all of the questions, the long essay questions on our final, because one of them, one of the finals was taken in class. The other one was like a paper you submitted um, as part of your final, but like not timed. You just worked on it and then you turned it in at a certain point. So I was given this class basically for every term and I was given an entire year. I was given a year to do this work, okay? Uh, what I didn't know about myself is that the walls that I had built around this failure um, were not going to be easy to scale for me. And my autistic brain, now that I know that I have it, did not like being forced to do something, you know, a little bit of oppositional defiance, I think was in there, but also uh, the, the fear of starting and then the fear of failing anyways was really strong for me. I don't think I, I don't think I identified it quite like that, but, um, Anyways, it was this huge behemoth of a task. I didn't even know how to... I, oh, the other thing about these papers was we were not allowed to use internet resources. So the only way to gather resources for this was in the library. Uh, and we had to watch all of these. I think there were some questions on George Balanchine. And it, it was sort of uh, four, four uh, essay subjects over the course of ballet history from like the 18... Well, actually, it may have even been... King Louis. It could have been that early, but basically the beginning of ballet history until the present day. So I couldn't even really work on these things at home. I would have to go and get the books, then bring them home or work in the library or whatever. And keep in mind, I'm still trying to like keep up with my other classes, with my dancing. Uh, I got injured a little bit. I hurt my ankle. I hurt my neck really bad to where I was out of class for, I don't know, at least a couple of weeks. I had to go to a chiropractor and they fixed me and everything eventually. But that was really tough. So I was getting injured. I was overwhelmed. Um, I was also dealing with a lot of personal issues. Um, I started going to some therapy, group therapy. I was having, trigger warning, unaliving thoughts. I was, oh, it was just, just quickly spiraling, quickly, quickly spiraling. One bright spot was I was collaborating with George on uh, some music and dance for the theater department. They had a version of Pride and Prejudice, and I was suggested to the department by my department uh, to help them with this. And so I ended up creating some English country dancing 
style choreography and some some <laughs> waltzing that did not fit in that century, but that's okay. And then George basically scored the entire show and I ended up playing some of the bits um, from like this cute little like lofted window space in the theater, an old sound booth. I had a piano up there that they um, hooked up to the speakers. And so, uh, yeah, we did two weekends of that. I had rehearsals for that. That was really fun for me because those people were wonderful. And I'm still friends with a lot of the kids I met there uh, at the theater department. So I had a lot of other stuff going on. And I think, you know, if, if this one class was the only thing I had to do, I probably would have been able to focus on it. You know, I would have been like, okay, this is my one goal. But I had all these other responsibilities. Plus I was trying to have fun. I was trying to, you know, do things that I wanted to do, which was you know, do collaborative work with the theater and the music departments, the things that they promised me I would be supported in doing. And I get it. I needed to take care of business and make sure I didn't fail this class again for no reason. But they didn't support me the way I needed to be supported. You know, they, I think maybe Christian asked me if I'm okay a couple of times, but I wish that I think he knew I wasn't, and I wish that he had said something more. I wish somebody had taken me by the arm and gone, you need some help. Like, you need to, I don't know. It's nobody's nobody's fault but my own, but I think my community around me didn't um, provide enough support that the type of person I was really needed, which was someone who, you know, missed home and was just emotionally totally in turmoil. And uh, anyways, those two weekends of that show I worked so hard and I was so proud of. And I, I personally invited every one of my, my professors, all of them. I invited everybody to come see me. I wasn't even in the show, but come see my work and look what I've, look what I've been doing. And look, what, look at this cool feather in the cap of the dance department I've given you. And this is what I came here to do. God damn it. <laughs> and not a single professor came to see me. Not the chair of my department, not my graduate advisor, not, a, not my modern teachers, not my ballet teachers, nobody there was one student, there were two students that came and saw my performance. I take that back. Maybe all the graduate students came, but not a single one of my professors came to support this interdisciplinary thing that I did, which turned out really cool. And I was really proud of it. You know, and I played the piano in there and they just looked down their noses at me. Like, I remember I was working in the office once uh, before this. And I had put up one of our posters for Pride and Prejudice in the office. And one of the professors comes in and I didn't actually take any classes from her, but I knew her. Um, and she came in and I said, oh, hey, um, if you're not busy this weekend, you know, come out and see the show I've been working on. She's like, she looks at me with this weird, like, like look of disgust. I was like, well, why didn't you do this with the dance department? Like, how dare you go and work with the theater department. And I don't know if there was some kind of weird, I don't know, like a feud going on between the two. I know my old music school, they had, there was a feud between the theater department and the music department at some point. I don't know if it still exists, but, uh, and the dance department, uh, they all were fighting for some reason. But so maybe that's what was going on. But I just remember being like, like I'd been slapped in the face. I was like, uh, I don't even know if she waited for an answer. I think she probably just left. Um, like I said, I didn't have class with her, so we didn't really know each other, but yeah. So that's the kind of support that I got, you know, after they promised me that that's 
what would be welcome, that they would think I was an asset to bring some different skills into the graduate program and kind of, you know, be a bridge between these departments because how amazing to have a theater department, a music department, and a dance department all working together. Like, who would have thought? Wow, what an idea. (laughs) You know, it seemed like insane to me that I was basically looked down upon for doing this work. So clearly that was a pretty big emotional um, uh, hit for me, feeling bad about it now as I speak. But uh, anyways, so I was doing that. I was not working on my papers. Um, I was also having to decide if I was, or I was having to write a prospectus for my thesis because at the time I was still in the MFA program and that is a terminal degree. So basically it means you can go and teach at a four-year university afterwards as long as you do a thesis. But I was looking into studying comedy and dance, specifically using like um, nonverbal, basically like mime. I was studying Commedia dell'arte and looking up other people who had written about funny things in dance. I really liked having goofy dances. I had always made goofy dances. Uh, I think that year before I had made a dance that was super goofy and to this Strauss music and it was sort of a parody on um, a pas de deux. And, and it had it had ra- raving reviews. I got you know standing applause at the end and everybody just came up, up to me after the show and was like, oh my gosh, that was so funny. You did such a, that like so unique and whatever. So, you know, that's what I decided. I was like, okay, I think I have a knack for this type of um not only comedy, but this type of uh, dance making that is all about the right timing and everything. So I was super excited to kind of dig in and find other people who were working on these things. Unfortunately, there wasn't a ton actually that existed on this. There were, I think I still have saved them, but there were some theses I found by other graduate students from, I guess, maybe five years before I was working on it. So I was basically compiling, you do a literature review. So basically you're looking for who has already talked about this and what have they talked about? And then where are the holes that you can fill in with your own research? So now that I'm thinking about it now, I think I really would have enjoyed that if I wasn't so burnt out from school and just absolutely emotionally wrecked. So that's too bad. Maybe I'll go, maybe, maybe I'll write it for fun one of these days as like a catharsis. Uh, but yeah, I was having fun kind of digging into that. But that was also a lot of work. It was a lot of writing. Um, you had to do an annotated bibliographies for all of these, describing your sources. Again, it was another thing where we weren't, uh, maybe for this one, I was allowed to use internet sources, but only to get at non-online sources. Do you know what I mean? Like you could use it to locate things, but they had to be like actual print, real um, published works, um, whether it was a, a, a journal publication um, or whatever. But I wasn't really moving far enough along with that. And fast forward to the end of that year, my spring quarter, things kind of came to a head. And I, it was, <laughs> I had, Professor Lewis had asked me a few times, how my papers were coming. He was checking in on me. Are you doing okay? How's it coming? I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, it's totally great. Yep, I think I've got one almost done because there were four total. Uh, I could probably send that to you next week, whatever. And of course, a complete lie, absolute lie, because I couldn't admit that I was having trouble and that I definitely wasn't going to get all of these done on time. I 100% was not getting these done on time. And every time someone would ask me, are your papers going to be done in time? Like, oh yeah, yep, going to be fine. You know, they were checking in on me now that I think about it in a, in a way that was, you know, focused on the work itself, but also like if I had said, no, 
no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not fine. This isn't going well. What do I do? Help me. Maybe they would have helped me. I don't know. I really don't know, but I didn't have the capacity to do that because I was so afraid of see, being seen as like a failure again. So I continued to lie, prevaricate, um, you know, just act like everything was fine till eventually I had a meeting with my graduate advisor and he suggested to me kind of a solution to my problems a little bit. Basically, I wasn't getting very far on my thesis. Uh, I hadn't turned in my, I was not on track to turn in my prospectus on time. And so he said, you know, if the MFA program is just not working out for you, we could switch you to an MS. He says, you know, nobody does the MS because the MFA is the basically the terminal, the highest degree that you can get in dance right at this point. And he says, um, if you don't want to be doing that and you just want to get a degree, we can put you back at the Masters of Science, which gets rid of any requirement for the prospectus. So that would immediately take away that pressure. And then you can still you can still get your degree. It will just not be that MFA and it won't qualify you to teach at a university at like, uh, I think I could be an adjunct professor, but not um, like a full professor track, like associate and then so on. And uh, so I, I jumped at that chance. I said, okay, yeah, yeah, for sure. He's like, the only thing is, is you're going to have to take a few extra kinesiology courses. And so, like I said, I jumped at the opportunity. I said, yeah, absolutely. That sounds great. I think I need to be done. And he told me, he's like, I think that it would be wise for you to do this. So that was his suggestion to me. So, you know, he was trying to help me. Um, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that I had some advice. I didn't know that that was possible. At least I don't think I did. Uh, so the more I looked into that, that that sounded good. This was probably winter quarter of, um, I can't remember. Like I said, really don't know the timing, but sometime the middle of that school year. But basically, I went to go talk to the registrar about um, retroactively withdrawing from that ballet history course, because now that I was doing the MS, the ballet history was not a required course. The the one that was required was modern history for the Masters of Science, as far as I recall. So if I could retroactively withdraw, that would remove the F from my transcript and allow me to graduate. And then I could also just currently withdraw from that special problems course that I was definitely gonna fail again. So that would solve all of my grades and then I would graduate and have my Masters of Science. <sighs> so, uh, <laughs> I go to the registrar's office. They tell me, yeah, that's possible. Uh, you need to do it by this deadline. And here's a piece of paper. You need to take it to your professor and they have to sign it. The professor who, Professor Lewis, professor who led the class, they have to sign this and then bring it back to us and we will approve this retroactive withdrawal. And it's mostly for like, it's like a hardship withdrawal something's wrong with you, which something was very wrong with me. Unfortunately, I had not been like diagnosed with anything by that point. I was just doing a little group therapy here and there. Um, and nobody even really knew about that. And so I, I felt like I was in a hardship, but on paper, I don't, I'm not sure I really had one. I just didn't do well out of nowhere. I didn't do well in this class. And so I get the paper and here's where the drama happens. I'm going to try and tell this as like factual as possible, but I take the paper, I go into the hallway of the dance building. So the first floor was the um, like reception, office, reception office, and then all of the professor's offices were down this hall. So the chair of the department, Jennifer, was on the corner, and then like three doors down was Professor Lewis. 
So I, I go in and I knock on his door. And at this point, he doesn't like me anymore. He does not like me. I know I pissed him off. I, I'm not sure. I mostly it was because I didn't know how to communicate with people. So I would just kind of like ignore things. Um, again, feeling super overwhelmed. It wasn't on purpose. I wasn't trying to be a bad student or make anybody look bad, but I think he took it personally. Like I was, uh, like I had done this to spite him. I think he felt like he had taken me a little bit under his wing and thought that I was such a good student. I also um, had to take a bunch of teaching courses from him and I had the best teaching folder and he was using me as an example. I think he took it so personally that I was going, like I was going to out to get him. And I'm so sad that that is, I think, the way I was interpreted because it couldn't have been farther from the truth. You know, I really respected him and I loved his classes. He had the most fun ballet class. So we just loved his, his ballet class. And even his modern class, too, was really was really just like all about the joy of like movement. And anyways, but at this point, he did not like me one iota. So I knock on his door and I open it and I just, you know, his face just goes absolutely steel blank. And I start stumbling out my words saying, um, you know, Professor Lewis, I, I have this paper. Um, I'm just trying to graduate this year. And um, if you sign it, then they'll take off the, the um, they'll put a W on my transcript and they'll take the, the fail grade off or whatever grade it was. Pretty sure it must have been an F, I don't know. They'll take the grade off and I'll be able to graduate if you sign this. And... He snatched the paper from me and I'm just standing there just like my eyes are like absolutely just wide, just feeling so like a deer in the headlights. And he crumples it up while he's looking at me, crumples it up and he throws it at me or he tosses it to me or hands it back to me. I can't remember specifically, but he crumples up the paper and he said, take this back. He's like, I want you to fail. I'm not signing this. I want you to fail. And I was like okay. And I turn around and, you know, here come the waterworks instantly. And I run out of the building, which is the biggest mistake of my life. I'll tell you why in a minute. And I'm so upset. I'm so upset. I think I just cried all the way home. I lived like not that far, but, um, I don't remember what I did after that, to be honest. I probably called George or I don't know. I was so upset. I called my parents and he said no. And that was the last day to have the paper signed. That was the other thing is the deadline was literally like the day I got the paper, that was the day it needed to be in. And I didn't know what to do. So what I should have done is gone above his head to Jennifer on the corner office. She was in her office too. I walked right past it. I walked right past her and I should have explained to her. And I think just to get me out of the department, to not have me be this fail stain on their reputation, I think she would have helped me out. I think she would have, I think she got it. I think she knew I was in over my head, that I didn't belong there and that I just wanted to to go and for them to, you know, save a little face because actually the girl in my year, she only stayed one year too. She left for second year because it was not a good fit for her either. She had some similar issues of just, you know, the faculty not quite treating her um, as she, as she deserved. And and yeah, and so that's what I should have done because as the chair of the department, she supersedes this professor. And I kicked myself for many, many years for that, for just like not stopping, calming myself down. I just didn't know how, you know, calm myself down and thinking of another option because I think she would have done it. I think that she would have. And then I'd have a master's of science degree instead of like 15, 16ths of one, you know. So anyways... 
I missed the deadline. I let's just fast forward to the end of the semester. Um, my parents did help me kind of uh, try and salvage my degree because we ended up going to the to like an I guess an arbiter. Uh, on school, the campus arbiter. And so basically they kind of act on your behalf. And my uncle had died at the, around the same same time too, just out of nowhere, my mom's brother. And there were a lot of things. So I had gone to the, um, I guess not the registrars, I guess maybe somebody, the college, the graduate college, basically the graduate head of graduate studies or whatever. And I explained to her my situation and how I was just like, and she's like, well, unless you get the paper signed, there's nothing I can do. She was not helpful. She looked at me like, why are you crying? Why are you upset? You didn't do the work. Like, what's wrong with you? You know, like it was basically like you're lazy is kind of what I kept running into is that I was lazy. That's what people kept telling me. You're lazy. Why can't you just do your work? Everybody else is doing the work. Why can't you just do this? What's wrong with you? And um, so I had tried talking to her. Then eventually, like I said, we talked to this arbiter. He was like a lawyer type, but he worked... Um, for the school and kind of as an advocate for students. And he, um, you know, that was right before I left the city of Eugene to go back to California. And what's really sad is that I actually walked in the ceremony for graduation because the it, it hadn't been decided officially yet. I was appealing basically my grades and trying to get that retroactive withdrawal now for two classes because I had failed the second class another time, which basically would have that kicked me out automatically just on grades alone. So before the final grades were input into the system, I was appealing these final decisions and trying to get those retroactive Ws. And the school didn't care. The school, you know, runs on deadlines and they didn't care that I was going through all these things. And clearly I was very mentally unwell. I think that was really, really clear. And anyways, so I had walked in the graduation and I'd left Eugene without knowing the, um, basically the without knowing my educational fate. And so we went home to California and I think we drove. I can't remember. It's such a blur. But I remember getting to my parents' boat. Like I said, they didn't have a house. That was their house. And so that's where I lived <laughs> too. And I, my mom said I like laid down on the, in the outside part of the boat, like kind of like the little porch. So I laid down on the cushions and I slept for like 15 hours. She said we got home early in the morning and I slept all day and into the night and woke up sometime the next day. And, and they tell, they told me later that when they came to pick me up from Eugene, that I was just like a shell of myself. They were really worried about me because, and it's funny, I hadn't, it's not like I lost a lot of weight or I looked, you know, but they said, I just stopped taking care of myself. And that is a classic sign of depression is I didn't wear makeup anymore. I didn't care what my hair looked like. I didn't care what I was wearing. Like there was nothing that was going into my self-care at all. Like not even a little bit. I think I actually was kind of cooking good food because I used to do blue apron. <laughs> the Like that was one of the first meal prep um, type uh, subscriptions you could do. And I loved that. I love to come home and do that. I love spending time with George and my friends, my music friends. I was playing some music, but they said I was just like the just not the person that went to school all hopeful and excited to do something new. And so, yeah, so there I was. And I finally got the email saying, no, you have been uh, removed from, I forget what they called it specifically, but I was kicked out. I was kicked out of the graduate school. And this is the first time that I have told this story to anybody except for, I guess, maybe my close family. I mean, really just my parents, my brother, boyfriend right now my ex-boyfriend, like just people that are close to me. But otherwise, when someone asks me, I just say, 
oh yeah, I went to University of Oregon and studied um, Masters of Science in dance. I mean, I, I don't say that I graduated with a degree, but I certainly lie by omission, to be honest. And oh, wow. So thanks for listening to my story, because that's kind of where it ends as far as my dance career goes. And the next time I picked up ballet, because I couldn't dance forever. I swung back to the other way and started writing a lot of songs. Um, I think that was cathartic for me about about relationships I'd been in because I had a whole bunch of drama for relationships too, but that's not for this podcast. And I just kind of leaned into music and writing and I became a flight attendant the following year and uh, that's what I've been doing since. And I started getting back into dance in 2020, kind of like a lot of us, when I had all this time and I got it into my head that I wanted to try it again and I wanted to do ballet and why didn't I just go to a ballet program? (laughs) Why didn't I apply to Arizona State? I thought about it. They have a wonderful ballet program, at least they used to, I don't know about now, but, but, um, you know, why hadn't I done that? I was just wishing and wishing, why did I do that? And I've wasted all this money and I'm, you know, to be perfectly transparent, I'm still 90 grand in debt, in college debt. It's still, I think with interest, it's gone up and the pandemic helped a little bit pause that, but yeah, $90,000 and I pay a little bit every month and, And that's where I'm at right now, is I had to come to terms with that huge failing, huge failing. And that crushed my self-confidence for a long time after I lived a very simple life. (laughs) I lived with my parents in this teeny tiny little boat. I think total the boat square footage was like, I don't know, 400 square feet. The three of us living in this, I slept in like, you know, it was fun. I loved it. I worked in a restaurant that was literally right up the dock in, in Marina del Rey in California, Um, I worked there for a long time and um, made some wonderful friends I still speak to and, um, you know, met met the guy I ended up dating for a long time and, you know, worked my flight attendant job after I got that. And so getting, getting to be a flight attendant saved me from that really deep pit of, wow, I am worthless. And after I got furloughed from flight attending in 2020 with everybody else in their jobs, um, that taught me to take my worth out of being a flight attendant too, because I had done the bad thing and made my whole personality about flight attending. And when I got furloughed, I didn't know how long that was going to last. It ended up being only about four months, but you know, we didn't know what was going to happen to the world. You guys know you lived it too. Um, We didn't know. We did not know how long everything was going to be shut down, what airlines were going to even look like after that. You know, I was in the bottom 5,000 people of my company and we were the group that, you know, we're looking at each other going, we may never do this again. You know, we don't know if we're going to be recalled. There may not be room for us anymore. And that really destroyed me too. So oh, I've had a lot of like self-destruction moments. And I mean destruction, I should say destruction of self uh, moments and having to reevaluate. And, um, you know, I, I, yeah, I started to dance again. Um, had a little bit of a rough start to that as well, kind of figuring out what that meant to me. And then eventually I found you ballet and I started to take my training a little more seriously. And then I got it in my head that I was going to be a professional dancer. And here we are. And you're listening to my podcast. Yay. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I've already been talking for an hour. I really thought this would be a shorter one, but I think I needed to be really frank and raw about that graduate story because again, um, yeah, it really shaped me in a lot of different ways for better or for worse. So I'm glad the truth is out now. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm, I've been trying the last year to just be really forthcoming when someone asks me about it. 
just recently, remember I told you guys that I um, might be doing some, if you're following me on Instagram, uh, might be doing some teaching, some paid teaching uh, over at a studio, a big, uh, pretty big program here in Chicago. And I made sure when I, when I, you know, updated my resume and then also uh, was emailing with the office coordinator to say, you know, I didn't finish my degree, but I do have, you know, a lot of training. I have 15 sixteenths of a master's degree. I did all of the work. I mean, I got A to A minuses in every class other than the two that I had an issue with, which were also the same class. So anyways, um, yeah, I'm just trying to live, like I said in a previous episode, really authentically. So, so this is helping me. So if you got this far, thank you again. I really appreciate it. Um, so what I wanted to kind of explain how I'm thinking about my dance history as I go forward and and continue to learn to be a dancer in the person that I am now and also how I'm presenting myself online to everyone else. I want you to know, now that you've heard my whole history, think back from last episode. I danced at a tiny little studio in my hometown. My hometown was like with the university population, probably 70,000 people, maybe 60, probably more like 60 now. It's grown a little bit, so small. And I did one summer session at PNB. Uh, that wasn't even the real one. It wasn't even the real summer session. Um, you know, it, it was one, but it was like, you just paid and you went. It, it wasn't a cut. You didn't, you know, like I said, so just to, just to rehash that. And then I did some dancing in the modern little dance company at my, my training... <laughs> is so limited to what most people get when they, you know, are dancers in like a big city or when their family has money for private lessons or whatever that is, or they just have that really competitive spirit that makes them work consistently every day on their craft and their skill and get better exponentially. And I didn't have that personality either. So everything that I've achieved this year, even from like the most, one of the recent reels I posted was the first time I had run through the Bluebird variation or Princess Florian variation. And then I posted the performance video that was from like mid-October. And the next video was from the performance, which was late January. And the total amount of rehearsals I had for my variation, I think was like eight. Okay. Mine is like the performance week where I did a lot of work by myself. Um, I have learned to work so much smarter. And that was a skill that was not taught to me as a child. That is a skill I have developed as a human being who knows she has finite time upon this earth and who knows that you cannot take your body for granted. And you also can't expect it to do miraculous things unless you put in a miraculous amount of effort. And the effort doesn't have to be I've got to spend three and a half hours every day, just like these kids and blah. No, because as adults, we don't have to just kind of do what our teachers tell us. You know, we can make choices and we can analyze the way that we work on something in order to find, I don't, shortcuts is not the right word, but I would say it's kind of like um, you're multitasking or you're, you're, you're just, you're finding the efficiencies. So, you know, it's probably better for me to work a lot on yoga and Pilates, for instance, to get my body really strong, as opposed to going downstairs and just kind of 
lifting some weights here and there, walking on the treadmill, like those things will help too. But if I'm looking to efficiently work my body out, I need to do compound type exercises. And, you know, walking is really good. I walk a ton. I probably walk average 12 miles a day when I'm not working. But, you know, those are things that I didn't know how to do as an adult as or as a child. And as a kid, I was not a good dancer, okay? I'm gonna go, uh, once all of my videos are digitized, I am going to make a compilation of me as a terrible dancer as a child. I was not that good, I wasn't, I wasn't that good. My turnout was bad, I was flaily, my, I'm still getting a hang on my arms. I was not a good dancer. I was not gonna go anywhere in the current shape that I was in. I needed some serious guidance and pushing, and I don't think I would have survived it, to be perfectly honest. I don't think, that would have been good for me. And so I'm grateful that my parents didn't do that to me. I'm so happy that they didn't because now here I am dancing because I want to and I find it to be fulfilling as opposed to somebody wanted me to do this, which I see a lot of people on the internet talking about how they left dance for a long time because it made them feel horrible about themselves. And I don't think dance has ever made me feel horrible about myself. Uh, that the thing that does is for not for this podcast, but, but anyways, um, yeah, so I just want to let you know that you can work smarter and and harder at the same time. And just because you were a bad dancer when you were a kid like I was, because I was, I was not good. I was not good at all. I was not good. I think I kid myself for a long time that I just didn't get the opportunities I deserved, which is a lie. It's not true. I wanted to believe that because I needed to believe that because my ego was really fragile as all of ours are at some point and continue probably to be in some capacities. Um, but now I'm like, you know what? I'm letting my adult self claim the hard work that I have done, the hard work I have done and the absolute just like focus when it came to, I mean, I wasn't doing those hops on point, you guys, until literally the dress rehearsal when I needed to do them because we had like friends and family. Okay, that's the first time I successfully did them and didn't fall over. <laughs> and then the next night, which was opening night, I completely bombed them. I fell. I didn't fall. I didn't fall, but I, I kind of like slipped and, and missed a couple. Okay, so I was working super hard just that week to make strides. So the next time, you know, you feel like you're plateauing or you're getting stuck, reevaluate. What are you doing? Are you doing the old stuff that your teachers when you were a kid used to tell you? Or are you, you know, are you looking at your work are you analyzing it frequently enough in order to see where the holes are and in order to see where you can work smarter, okay? Because I didn't have super great training. I had okay training. And I think I'm really observant and I'm really good at learning by watching. And so I'm also good at emulating and copying. I'm very good at mimicking. I just, I am, I'm really good at it. And so that's why usually my advice to people is if they ask me, you know, what do I do when I'm beginning? I say, watch as many amazing dancers as you can and then copy what they're doing. Just copy it, copy it. Because learning that affect is something that you can do, but you have to pay attention. It won't come to you just by doing the motions. You have to learn how to interpret other dancers' efforts into your own body and then learn to make them your own. So you don't have to have incredible, amazing training. I didn't, I went to PMB for one summer. I think it was like a three week summer session. Maybe not even that long, probably two. May have even been a week. I don't know. I can't remember to be perfectly honest. But I, the only thing I had going for me is I was, you know, fairly slender. I was, you know, long and lanky, kind of tallish. I had great bendy feet. 
and I had a pretty good arabesque. I did have a very strong arabesque as a child. It was pretty high once I got to 13, 14, but that's it. That's it. I was not a prodigy. I couldn't pick up choreography very fast. I still can't. Um, I was not the top person dancing in my level, not even close. I was definitely in the middle. I was pretty mid-range dancer. But now the improvements I see are exponential because I'm able to learn in such a smarter way. I've also not trashed my body from dancing and trying to like achieve this dream that I don't think I was ready for and I don't think I could have accomplished um, even as a younger person. It's like youth is not everything, remember? <laughs> remember my, my old people podcast, okay? Youth is not everything. And I fully intend to see how far that this little body of mine can go, even at 34 when I wake up and my joints crack and, and everything hurts, you know, <laughs> when I have a hard workout and I, and I have to do more maintenance. That's just part of aging, right? The cells, they die. <laughs> so I just want, I, I hope that that is um, inspirational for you because I see, I felt this need to like bolster up my credentials, like oh yeah, I have this training. Oh yeah, I went to PMB. Oh yeah, you know, I say, I say that when people ask me, oh, where, did you, where did you learn? Where did you train? I should be saying, oh, I've been teaching myself for the last three years. <laughs> I've been teaching myself in these student-led classes. I've been watching things. I've been training at home. I've been really dialing in on my performance quality in the last six months. Not, oh yeah, I went to PMB and they go, oh yeah, totally PMB. But the reason why I look like I went to PNB is because I want to look like that. I want to have the Balanchine affect. And so I turn with a straight back leg in my pirouettes. I cross my arms over in first position when I shun it. Um, what else? I like to curtsy on a flexed foot instead of a pointed foot. Oh, what other things? I like to do the take off the sweater thing when I come through first position to fifth. I wrap my arms over. But that's because I bought Suki Shorer's book on balancing technique and I have studied it. <laughs> okay, so even though nobody taught me these things, and obviously I'm not the grandest example of this technique, and it's much better to learn these things, you know, firsthand from someone who knows them in the studio. A hundred percent. I am not advocating for just being self-taught at everything else, but I am advocating for not underestimating your own skills in acquiring the knowledge that you want to around ballet and really anything in life. Um, I was talking to a girl recently, we were chatting, just texting on Instagram and, um, and she's a little bit on the younger side and um, she was wondering, you know, like, I think I had suggested her Sometimes when I was younger, I had to make my own performance opportunities, like hosting a workshop or doing a this. If there was something I wanted to do, I just do it. If it doesn't exist, I, I do it. You know, I needed a ballet costume for a thing and I was like, well, guess I'm going to learn to sew. <laughs> you know, like I think having that type of can-do attitude and not taking no for an answer is really, really important when you're trying to level up your ballet skills. So, oh boy, I, I think I'm preaching too much at this point, but I hope that that helps you and inspires you to just keep trying and don't let the fact that you have no ballet background stop you from becoming the dancer that you want to be because that's what I'm doing. If I want to look like balancing technique, well, I don't, I can't afford to pay hundred dollars an hour to someone who can coach me like that right now. So I'm going to watch the balancing dancers. I'm going to watch the old videotapes. There's so many really amazing, um, there's a lot of video footage actually of American ballet because of how recently it came into being. And I'm going to study what this company looks for in dancers, this company I want to audition for eventually. You know, and even if I don't get there, it's such a good lesson in perseverance and 
like I said, just going for what you want in life because tomorrow is not promised and the only time is now. It will, it's always going to be difficult. There's never going to be a perfect time to start or to ramp up your training. So if you're, if you're on the fence and you keep, you're looking for like a new beginning or whatever, please let me be the person to tell you that start this right now, right after this podcast. Okay. Once I say bye, (laughs) you know, go and do the thing that you're putting off, whatever it is, whether it's like, Oh, I wish my core was stronger then go and do a plank. Okay. Do a minute plank right now after this podcast. Actually, you could do a plank right now. As long as you're not driving. If you're at home listening to this, get down on the floor and do a plank for a minute, okay? (laughs) You know, it's that kind of motivation. And it waxes and wanes. It's not like I have that motivation every single day of the month. It just, it doesn't work like that exactly. But but don't wait for the perfect scenario to pop along to improve your dancing. I really hope that this has all made sense. (laughs) Oh my gosh, how much time am I at? I'm at 74 minutes, oh my gosh. So I'm gonna wrap it up now. (laughs) But I hope you enjoyed this drama-filled history I hope it was entertaining at the very least. I promise we will not have such long episodes in the future, but I really wanted you to get a a full background on what my experience is. And I think that that helps to kind of put me in context and put what I'm doing in context, I think. And if you have any questions or you want me to clarify anything or, you know, whatever, please feel free always to DM me on Instagram at the Longshot Ballerina. I answer all of your messages and I really appreciate your support and following. If you're new, again, please make sure and go back and listen to the other episodes. There's some other contextual things, like I talked about my breast reduction. There's a fun interview with my boyfriend who's in film, and we talk about art. So yeah, and if you have any comments or anything, again, please DM me on Instagram. And then please like and rate, review this podcast. It helps more people get it into their uh, suggested feed and builds our little community here. And and I really just want to help people. I want people to I hope that people listen to me and find some kind of either motivation or I don't know a new why or just not to feel so alone if they're trying to do the same thing that I'm trying to do which is be a ballerina (laughs) a paid ballerina okay paid one (laughs) all right everybody have a great day and I'll talk to you guys soon bye